Well, good evening. Welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. I think we have a couple of classes that are still making their way over, but we can go ahead and start. We're privileged to have um, Dr. James Russell with us this evening. He's director of pastoral ministries program here at NBC. Let's welcome Dr. Russell. Thank you, Dr. Russell, for being here. He's going to help us hear from the Lord. Let's stand together as we sing songs of God's love and His goodness. And let us pray. Let's just give this time to God. God, we're just reminded that you are God who never lets go. God, you are with us every step of the way. And thank you, God, for being ever so faithful. God, we're reminded, Lord Father, that you are sovereign, God you have everything in control, that you, that you never let us go, God. You are a God who's for us, and you're a God who's with us. And we just lift you up this evening, in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, you know that there are times when we need a hiding place. Things pile up and we wonder if we can handle that one more thing that's happened. And the burden sometimes gets heavier than we think that we can bear. But you will cover us. You will uphold us. You will rescue us with your mighty right hand. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And I ask this evening that as we deal with an important subject, an emotion, an attitude, a feeling that we all have from time to time called disappointment, Lord, that you'll show us the danger of allowing ourselves to become disappointed and stay that way. But even more so, Lord, show us how you deliver us from disappointment. And if there's anybody here tonight and they're thinking, I don't know if I can make it through, I pray that you will give them sweet and blessed assurance tonight and that you will bolster their faith and that your word will not return void, but tonight they will learn from your word. Victory is mine in Jesus. And all God's people said, Have you ever been disappointed? I have. (laughs) Disappointment is something that kind of comes to all of us, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't like being disappointed. I mean, after all, I think about the expectations that I have for life and for my ministry and everything, and, and I know they're good ones. I know they're right. How in the world could God not let them come to pass? What is he thinking? And when I get disappointed and my expectations aren't met, I have a tendency to get upset. You wouldn't do that, though, I'm sure. You, you never get upset. I even find that if my expectations aren't met, especially when I, you know, I prayed over them, I looked into the Word, they all look great to me, and I can't find anything wrong with it, and then they don't come to pass. Can you believe this? I find myself getting torqued at God. Can you imagine but I'm sure you've never felt that way, have you? And you would never do that in a heartbeat, would you? No, you would never get upset with God. 
Now's a good time to repent for lying. Let us go, you know. We're all tempted to do that. But disappointment is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's a normal human response, to be honest with you. When expectations aren't met, the fact that you would get disappointed, that, that doesn't mean that there's necessarily something wrong with you or you're not very spiritual. <clears throat> it just means that you're human. And that's just a normal human reaction. But there's another thing I know. Just normal human reactions aren't always the best reactions. The best reactions to disappointment are those supernatural things that we're able to do because of God's awesome love and spirit in our lives. Okay? You see, life is a balance between my expectations and reality. For example, you turned in your exegetical paper to Dr. King, and you expected an A, and you got something else. <laughs> you turned in your exegetical work, and how could it not be an A? What was that professor thinking? You turned in your sermon outline to me, and I wrote back to you, are you kidding? And you said, how could he take it that way? Or how about this? The kids just aren't turning out the way you thought they would. They're just not doing what you thought they would do. That job that you're tolerating, you thought, man, if I just hang in there, it'll get better, but it's getting worse. Or things that family and friends have said and done, they were hurtful, and your expectations of how you would be treated and appreciated, they just didn't turn out the way you thought they should. So does God have anything to say to us about when we're disappointed about how to handle it when life is just not turning out, things aren't turning out the way that we thought? Well, he does. And there's two things that we're going to look at this evening. I want you to keep your Bibles open, first of all, to Job chapter 1. Now, if you haven't been to Job for a while, it's after Esther and before Psalms, okay? But now you've had Dr. King, so I know that you know that, all right? But while you're looking at that, I also want you to know that a little bit later we're going to turn to Romans chapter 5. I want us to see Job as an example of some things that you and I really need to know that help us deal with this difference between expectations and reality. And then I want you to see exactly what God does in our lives according to the teachings of the Apostle Paul through the ministry of the Spirit that enable us to face disappointment without total discouragement. So we're going to be looking at Job chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5 this evening. Now, in Job chapter 1, we find out that things are going along really well. I mean, he is one blessed guy. <laughs> you know, he is so blessed that Satan says, yeah, but if you take those blessings away from him, I'm telling you, you'll watch him. He'll be a turncoat. God says, no, he won't. Turns out Satan's wrong. God's right. Wouldn't that be awesome that God would know that we love him so much and trust him so much that he would know no matter what the enemy tried to do to us, no matter what life might deal to us, we would stand firm in our trust and confidence in him. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be that close to the Lord. See, four messengers come and give him some bad news. You talk about things happening. Boom, 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 one right after another. And they were not at all what Job expected to happen that day. But here's his reaction in verse 20. At all this bad news, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, the customary thing you would do when you're in extreme grief, because the very last thing that happens is a windstorm comes through and kills all his kids. 
he is extremely sorrowful. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, and we hear these verses so often, but unfortunately, nobody ever reminds us that regardless of the deep sorrow he's facing, these words are given in a spirit of worship. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Look at verse 22. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging, charging God with wrongdoing. Job is tested in life in ways beyond what most of us will know. In one day, Job is stripped of his wealth. One after another, four frightened messengers report to him that 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and 3,000 camels have been stolen. 7,000 sheep were struck by lightning. Oh man, how often does that happen? And then all 10 of his kids were killed by a windstorm. I guess King Solomon was right. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Ecclesiastes 9.12. Now, I'm thankful for verses like that because in God's word he says, hey, it happens. It happens. We act like it should never happen. <laughs> but it does happen. And from what happened to Job, here's what we know. Here's what we learn. God allows Satan to tempt and test us with adversity and unexpected trouble. God allows injustice to impact our lives. People steal from us. They falsely accuse us. They do bad things to us. God allows nature to take its course. We're not immune from natural disaster. God allows the results of living in a broken world to touch our lives. Wow! Then wherein is the benefit of being a God follower, of being a Christian? If God's going to allow all these things to happen to us, well, I'll tell you, the first benefit is this. You won't face them alone. Amen. Everybody said what? Amen. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You won't face them alone. Of course, when these things happen, we're tempted to cry out, this isn't fair. Or the devil loves to whisper in our ears, and, and I've heard this one, and I'm sure you have. If God really loved you, he wouldn't have let that happen. Or how about this one? You're so upset. You're so disappointed that you find yourself saying to God, how could you let that happen? Well, there's several important truths that emerge from this. When you're facing these things, truth is what's going to set you free. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not your anger, and not your blame. Because you see, when these things happen, we're either going to blame somebody or we're going to blame God, or we're going to turn to God in a spirit of worship and let him minister to us. But here's several important truths that come out of this. First of all, God is sovereign. He's on the throne still. He's in control no matter what happens. But under his control, he has told us that in the meantime, okay, in the meantime, these things are going to happen. Satan is the prince of this world, and he has a certain reign of terror right now. But God's bigger than that, and he can make us adequate for any attack. The third thing we, we know is that bad things happen to good people. I'm always amazed at the guys who quote Jesus and Paul in their prosperity theology. <laughs> I want to say, I, I can think of a few bad things that happened to Jesus, and I don't think he sinned. I think he was blessed of God, amen? I can think of a few bad things that happened to the Apostle Paul. I don't think it's because he was, you know, out of God's will, amen? 
You see, Satan can touch God's people only with God's permission. And guess what? God does it. The enemy means it for harm, but God does what? He takes it and turns it into good. You see, we know that it's God's will that we become like Christ. But in order to become like Christ, we must be willing to share in suffering as well as in glory. It's been said that no one really understands or comes to grips with the mission or calling of their life until they've faced some suffering. And I think that's true. Peter wrote it this way. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and steadfast. To him be power and glory forever. Suffering won't last forever, and it will make you strong. So if you and I had suffered the kind of loss that Job had suffered, would we handle it the way that Job did? Well, let's see how Job handled it. Verse 20, at this Job got up and tore his robe off and shaved his head and fell to the ground in pity. No. In anger. No. In what? What does it say? Somebody tell me. Worship. Worship. Job expressed his grief. He did not ignore it. But he did not wallow in his grief. He overcame grief through turning to God. Whatever else worship is, it is coming into the presence of Almighty God with all you are and all you have and where you are. In verse 21, Job said, I brought nothing in. I take nothing out. I came in naked. I'm leaving naked. Job looked back at his birth. And he realizes he didn't do this. So all that he has comes from God. Job looked ahead to his death and realized there are no U-Haul trailers connected to caskets. Job looked up and worshipped, and the Hebrew word for blessed denotes to, heal, to kneel as an act of adoration. And notice that what Job does here is that in the midst of this deepest sorrow, he takes all of his emotions, all of his pain, all of the confusion, everything that Satan said, that'll turn him against God. Instead, he lays it at the feet of the Lord in worship. And the end result is, he did not sin. By blaming God. As a matter of fact, in, in chapter 13, verse 5, Job says, after even more things happened to him, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Now, friend, that's unshakable faith in God. I want to ask you a question. Is that the kind of faith you have in the Lord tonight? In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Instead of blaming God, he blessed him. So what? That was Job. What about me? Well, you have the same choice. Blame or bless. Doubt or trust. If you put your trust in the Lord, it's possible to endure the worst testings you can even imagine. If you bless him, instead of blaming him, you can avoid the sin of becoming bitter and doubting and distressing and disobeying. If God helped Job to do this, then how much more will he help those of us who live this side of the cross with the immediacy of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Let me share with you my story because <clears throat> I can tell from some of the exit interviews and some of the interventions we do that, that uh, you've shared some of the same testing. <clears throat> I'm going to school at Trevecca. I'm making decent grades. I've got good professors. I meet my wife in registration line. We get married that summer. We're newly wed. We're in marital bliss, except for my stupid 55 Plymouth, which keeps breaking down. 
and uh, using up all my money, but my school bill's paid, and we've got a nice apartment, everything's coming along just great. And God says, oh, and besides that, had this great job, this great job with UPS, and I was making more money than most anybody on campus, man. It was, it was oh, man, I was paying cash for my school bill. Can you imagine? Ooh, man. And all of a sudden, God says, give it all up. I want you to go to Bible college. Wait, God, I, I'm only 19. I'm young, freshly married. I, I'm a young dude here at Tribeca. Bible college is for old people. No, Bible college is my will for you. So getting that old 55 Dodge that's always breaking down, prayed, Lord, if you'll just get us there. Now be careful what you pray for because that's what happened. I pulled up on my father-in-law's driveway, and it died, and that puppy never resurrected again, okay? Well, Lord answered my prayer. He just got me there. And immediately, I had to start learning to depend on him because I couldn't find a good-paying job. UPS wasn't in Colorado Springs then. And the only job I found was in a foundry, slinging a sledgehammer on a shakeout machine, making half the wages that I was making before. And I got upset with God. That was not my expectations. I laid out the fleece. I prayed the prayer. You told me plainly. I did what you said. Now look what's happened. I got a terrible job. I'm not making enough money. And on top of that, now we have a baby, and the baby's getting sick all the time. And my car broke down again, even though I had another car. It's as bad as the first car. And I could go on and on and on. But I, I had a solution. I had a solution how to solve my financial problems. I would just withhold my tithe. After all, God, I gave up my UPS job. After all, God, I gave up Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm a Tennessee boy to come to Colorado. After, and I made all these excuses. I withheld my tithe. Can I tell you a little story about withholding your tithe? It's not your tithe. It's his. And so when you withhold what's his from him, you're stealing. And when you're stealing, God can't bless you. I've never seen God bless a thief yet. Amen. Okay. And so things are getting worse and worse and worse. I went from disappointment to doubt, from doubt to distrust, and from distrust to disobedience, and I was headed for spiritual destruction. Well, thank God for a wife who had tithed ever since she'd been a teenager just like me. I just got an instant case of stupid in there somewhere. And so she came to me and she said, I'm sick of this. You start paying the tithe. This Sunday you pay the tithe. I don't care if we starve to death. We're going to do what God says. So I wrote the tithe check out. Now by writing that tithe check out, that meant that we didn't have any money left for groceries, didn't have any money left for gas, and soon the baby was going to be out of milk. So I go to God in church. Tithe plate comes by. I put it in like this. My wife's going, thank you, Jesus, thank you. I'm going, we don't have any money for milk, don't have any money for gas. I have no idea what the preacher preached about. I was too busy being mad at God. Sunday service is over. Family comes up to us and says, Jim, you and Susan got plans for lunch? No. Took us home. <clears throat> Roast beef, all the trimmings, gobs and gobs of stuff. Got done eating. The guy said, you've got to take some of this home, dude. If you don't, I'll be eating roast beef all week, and I don't like it that much. And I'm, you know, in my pride, ready to say, oh, no, that's okay, my wife. Yeah, thank you very much. Man, they loaded us down with more food than we ever got at the grocery store. I'm serious. Took that home, put it in the refrigerator. We had one of those refrigerators, too, with a little freezer about this big, you know. It's like, can we have ice or can we have hamburger? You know. <laughs> and so, so then we go to church, man. It was, oh. Go to church that Sunday night. 
Susan, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I'm, right, we still have money. And I don't know what the preacher preached about. I still too busy being mad at God. And so then this couple comes up to us. Have you guys had dinner? No. Oh, you got to come home with us. Ham and all the trimmings. He got done. I'm not kidding you. He said, man, you guys got to take some of this home. If you don't, I'm going to eat ham all week. I don't like it that much. I'm ready to say, we don't eat it. Oh, thank you very much. And so all of a sudden now, we can't hardly find places to put all this stuff in the refrigerator. My wife turns to me and says, uh, and you were worried about groceries? And I said, well, I, okay. So we got groceries, but we still don't have any money for milk and gas. She said, you'll see. I come home from work the next day. My wife says, you got a letter from your Aunt Nell. My Aunt Nell's never written me in my life. Open it up, and she says, just felt like you might could use this. Now, this was in 1969, and she had a, a brand-new $10 bill in there. Brother, in 1969, you'd get a lot of gas and milk with 10 bucks. I came to school that night under what is known as heavy conviction. The Lord spanked me all the way to school, spanked me all the way through class, spanked me till he got me in chapel. And in chapel, I made a resolution with God. I'll never do anything that stupid again. Oh, God, please forgive me. Because you see, what was happening was I was blaming God for all my ills. And as Dr. Phil would say, How's that working for you? <laughs> well, it wasn't working. And can I tell you, it won't work for you either. But God taught me a very important lesson through all of that. And here's what it is. When the Lord takes away, you know what it does? It makes room for God to give you more. Amen. Everything we had lost made room for God to give us more. So you see, when I stopped blaming God, started worshiping Him and trusting Him, everything changed, but mainly I changed. <laughs> I moved beyond how I felt to what I knew. Well, what do I know? Well, here's what I know in Romans 5. So turn with me, please, to Romans 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, but I'm going to look first at verses 1 through 4. You see, Job already understood this, but I think Paul explains it for us very well. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. What's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> Well, listen, because God loved us so much, he gave Jesus for us. Because God loved us so much, he justified us and cleansed us of all the sins we've committed and started his sanctifying work in our hearts and in our lives. And because loved us, God loved us so much to do that, then I know that it's possible for me to live in the hope of God. And hope is not a wish or a dream. It's a positive expectation that God's going to do exactly what he said he would do. What does God do? He gives us the ability to rejoice even when we're suffering. Why? Because joy is not dependent upon circumstances. We can take hope in God's glory because God loves to bless us. He's glorified when we trust him. He's glorified when he blesses us. God always has our best interest at heart. He always gives us what we need. And then there's perseverance, the ability to hang in there no matter what's happening. And then there's character, the maturing of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And then there's that blessed hope that comes from the very throne of God, a positive expectancy that the sovereign God will make it all work out for the good. So look at what God says then in, chapter, in verse 5. 
And hope does not disappoint us. Read that with me. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And suddenly disappointment and discouragement give way to determination and positive expectation. God loves me. That hasn't changed. He loves me enough to discipline me as a son. That hasn't changed. He's enabling me to become more like Jesus Christ. Thank God that doesn't change. And then I realized that the Apostle Paul was right. In Romans 8, he says, What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, that is along with Jesus and all that Jesus does for us, listen, catch this, graciously give us all things. Whoa! What happens if I dare to believe that? So here you are. You've come to NBC with great expectations, or you've arrived at your first ministry position with great expectations, or you tackled online education with great expectations. Everything's just going to be just fine. And you say, it is. Everything's worked out exactly as I thought it would. Well, then good. Praise God. Rejoice, because it could change at any time. And if it does, what will you do? Well, not for me, Brother Jim. I tell you, nothing's turned out like I thought. So let me ask you a question. Have you blamed God? Have you decided that he forgot your address? Are you discouraged? Has your beautiful dream turned into a nightmare? When things turned sour like a lemon, did you make lemonade or did you get sour too? So how does God want you to respond when you get disappointed, especially if the disappointment you have is with him? Well, first, confess your disappointment. Confess your confusion. Confess your... God already knows. I'm amazed at confession. God already knows. It's not like we're telling him. But the very word means we're agreeing with him. God, you're right. I'm wrong. God, you are right. I need to listen to you. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. Don't call it a shortcoming or make excuses. If you've blamed God, repent. Because according to Job 1, if you do blame God, that's a sin. Job didn't blame God, and it kept him from sinning. Second, turn from feelings to faith. Since faith is based upon the Word of God, it means that you turn from what you feel to what you know. And third, put your faith in God's character and in His Word. What do you know? Well, here's what you know. And as I read this, if you believe what I'm getting ready to say to you in these statements, I want you to say amen, and I want you to say it like you believe it. You know that God is sovereign and does all things well. You know that God loves you. He always has and always will. You know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know that God's more interested in your character than your comfort, and it's his will that through suffering we'll become more like Jesus. You know that God's promised not to leave you nor forsake you. He is with you even now. Therefore, by faith, if you're discouraged, if you're disappointed, if you felt like throwing in the towel, if you think, I can't deal with one more thing, will you choose to bless God instead of blame Him? Amen. Will you let Him change your disappointment into dis and discouragement into a determination to love Him and serve Him no matter what? Will you let God perfect your faith so that you are strong and resolute, so that you can say, as Job said, though He slay me, yet will I serve Him? 
Will you acknowledge that all you are and all you have is His? And thus, whether He chooses to give or to take away, you will cry out, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will worship Him. I will serve Him. I will yield to His will. Well, it could be that some of you need to say, Tonight, I need to do that, Doc. I need to do that right now. Because let me tell you what, if you put it off when you get home, the enemy will beat the tar out of you and do everything he can to keep you from becoming resolute, to say, no, 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 I will not stay discouraged. I will not stay disappointed. I'm going to put my trust in God. I will serve him no matter what. Now, I have a feeling that some of you are at that point in your life right now. And so here's what I'm going to do. No singing, no begging, no pleading. Pleading. Some of you just need to come down and just kneel right now and say, God, I'm sorry. No more blame. I bless your holy name. If that fits you, would you come right now so we can close in prayer? Come on. Some of you need to do that. Tonight is your night. No more. I'm not going to be defeated anymore. Tonight is my night to say, I'm going to trust you. I will follow you no matter what. Everybody pray. Pray that we'll all be obedient. Is that where you are this evening? Do you have that kind of faith tonight? Please don't leave here discouraged. Please don't leave here with heartaches that you don't need to bear alone. But I don't know how he's going to work it out. You don't have to know. He already knows. I don't know when it'll get better. He already knows. And he's promised you that he will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear. Trust him in that tonight, would you? Heavenly Father, we confess to you this evening that we need you every hour. We need you sometimes as a hiding place. We need you sometimes to lift us up with your mighty right hand. We need you sometimes to wrap your arms around us in a way that only the Comforter can do that enables us to say, I will serve no matter what. Lord, tonight we choose to not remain disappointed to not remain discouraged. You don't get angry at us because we get disappointed or discouraged. But you've told us to fear not. You've told us to trust you. You've told us to wait and see what you will do. You've told us you'll make it work out for our good. You've told us so many wonderful things. But we get sidetracked by our feelings and we forget that faith is not built on feelings. It's built on what we know in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And oh God, let us hear your word tonight above the emotions and feelings that have dragged us down. And so we cry out like Job and say, I may not understand it. It may not make sense. But no matter what happens, I am going to put my trust and my hope in him. And I pray for every person that brings their need to you this evening that right now in their hearts there will be a resolute determination not by our strength but by the power and might of Almighty God working in us through your Holy Spirit that we will be able to say, I am resolved to live in the kingdom of God, to keep him king and Lord over my life and to rejoice even in suffering. Lord, we could never do this in our own strength. 
but we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. And so we thank you and praise you right now, and regardless of what our emotions may be telling us, we will rise above our feelings and stand on faith alone. My God is with me. Everybody stand together with me, please. And those of you that are praying, I want to give you a chance now to take a step of faith, take a look at what's on the screen, and here's what this means. If you're bound and determined to let God do for you what he did in Job, what he did in Paul, what he's done in all of our lives to bring us to that place, then say these words with me. Read it together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, even when I'm in sorrow. Amen? Amen. Even when I'm tested and tried. Amen? Amen? Even when I don't get the grade I thought I ought to get. Amen? <laughs> all right. Well, let me, give you, let, me, let me give you just a little marching order here, okay? Because sometimes we just need to say this to ourselves. I will bless and not blame. Say that with me. I will bless and not blame. And remember, the word bless means to kneel in adoration. I will bless and not blame. One more time, ready? I will bless and not blame. And then go with these words. Read them one more time and you'll be dismissed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless.